and thank you for joining us today on a special episode of Off Record. Today, Corey Levy speaks to three guests from different backgrounds in life, but all have experienced common traits of depression, anxiety, and unfortunately suicidal thoughts. They've all went through hard times along with millions around the world, but they are here to share how they've overcame and fought their hardship through entrepreneurship and technology. I hope this episode will help anyone out there listening going through similar experiences, and if you are, you are not alone and there is hope. There's always someone happy to talk to you. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. Today, we speak to Zach Ladder, Amanda Southworth, and Ben Yu. We will start by listening to Zach's story. He is the founder of Hack Club, a non-profit network of coding clubs dedicated to spreading the philosophy of unschooling. In high school, he helped develop Football Heroes, a popular arcade football game, and after his freshman year, he dropped out of high school and moved from Los Angeles to San Francisco to be the first engineer at Messaging App Yo. Since then, he was awarded the Teal Fellowship at only 17 years of age and later included in the Forbes 30 under 30 for his work with the Hack Club. But before achieving all of this, he went through some tough times. To start out just by having you share with the audience a little bit about your story and background. Yeah, absolutely. So I got lucky and I got into coding pretty young. And it came into my life when I was going through a really hard time in middle and high school. And I ended up dropping out of high school after my freshman year. And I was lucky enough to be able to get hired at a small game studio in Los Angeles. And I was able to work my way up to moving out to Silicon Valley and working in the tech industry. These days, I'm running a nonprofit called Hack Club, where we are working with high schoolers all around the world to start really great after-school coding clubs where people can learn the way I wish I could have in school. What was middle school like for you, or high, I guess high school for your freshman year of high school like for you as well? I know middle school is hard for a lot of folks, and I know I know a lot of people struggle in high school as well. But I was going through a bit of an identity crisis. I think I was, I was really trying to figure out who I was, and I was I was really trying to latch onto anything, especially near the end of middle school, not the beginning of high school, that could give me a sense of identity. I felt like I was trapped in this Kafka esque structure, and this is really only like trying to analyze it in retrospect. But it felt like everywhere I looked, I was being told different things by different people, and when I went to the classroom, I was really trying to latch on to the idea that you can find meaning and fulfillment in life through education. But it always felt like I was learning for someone else. And at first, I think a lot of people share that experience. And at first, I was like, all right, like right, I'm just going to try. I'm going to like take more classes or I'm going to try to approach my schoolwork in, in different ways. But what happened was it felt like, as I kept trying to do this, a weight of sorts. It was like a sense of dullness on everything that I was perceiving, like a constant, kind of like a scalar that just made everything like less meaningful. The more I tried to push through this, the worse it got. It actually got to the point where I was struggling to get out of bed in the morning and I was thinking about ending my life. And no matter how much I wanted to go out and do things, it just felt like I was like fighting my own body to go out and like be a real person that could do things. And it got to the point where I was really lucky because through my dad's work, I was able to have health insurance and I went to a therapist and I was diagnosed with depression and it was nice to have some sense of clarity, but also, I mean, that was a very traumatic experience. And my parents ended up trying to get me to take medication that I didn't want to take. And, and it got to the point where the originally occasional thoughts of ending my life became more and more present and a bigger and bigger part of my identity. And I got really lucky because... How uh, old were you at that point? I was 14 or 15. 
Yeah, I don't think any 14-year-old should ever have to go through that. How old are you right now? And I agree. Yeah, I, I just turned 20. Well, thanks for, for sharing parts of that story. I know that must be really challenging. What, what would be your advice to someone who is 14 right now that might be feeling the same way that, that you are? So I think one of the things that I've realized in retrospect is that nobody asks to be born. And when you're growing up, I mean, this is true no matter where you're in life, but especially when you're young, your life is the only life that you've ever known. And at the time, it felt like I was in this horrible, horrible place. But in retrospect, I mean, I, I was also in a place of incredible privilege. I, I was born to what society says is the right gender. I was born to what society says is the right skin color. When I was in elementary school and my friend's parents were getting divorced, my parents sat me down and told me that that was something I did not have to worry about. I mean, I was really fortunate to be able to grow up in the household that I grew up in. And I think that one thing that really helped get me out of that horrible pit I was in was finding an outlet that let me connect with other people. And for me, that was coding. Uh, when I started writing code, code, I started meeting other people around the world that were like me. And and that was the first time I felt like that I was a real person that could do real things and, and where I convinced myself that I mattered. So if I were talking to a 14-year-old that was going through some of the same things that I was, I mean, the first thing to understand is like your feelings are valid. Like if you are going through a traumatic experience, nobody can question your experience. But also you need to understand that, at least for me, one of the things that programming taught me was that there are multiple solutions to any given problem. When you're writing code, if you want to get a box on the screen, there's like a million different programming languages you can use. There's a million different ways to draw a red square on the screen. And I think that idea also applies to life too. I mean, if you're struggling to do something like get an education, if you're struggling to do something like find happiness, I mean, there's not just one route. What happened after you dropped out of high school your freshman year? What was that conversation like with your parents? Yeah, at first it was really scary. I think my parents were scared. This was at a point where I had missed a lot of school as well. I was technically truant, although the the school didn't pursue that. So I think that it was a tough spot. Now, I was lucky because at the point when I was starting to have this conversation with my parents, I was employed. I had gotten really lucky to work at a company where I was an early employee and, and we had over a million people using our app. So I was also coming from a perspective where I felt like I could get work and I was getting work. The conversation with my parents was challenging, but I was extraordinarily fortunate that parents were supportive of trying to work with me to, to figure out something that would make me happy. Or I, I hate to phrase it that way, but something that was an alternative. And I was coming from a point of relative leverage because I was making more money than most people my age. Thank you for listening to Zach's story, a great turnaround story who's now helping kids around the world at such a young age. Similar to Zach, we now speak to Amanda Southworth, the founder and creator of both Anxiety Helper, a mental health toolkit, and Verena, an app designed to help the LGBTQ community feel safer. She landed a job at Team Vogue as a teenager and had a meeting with Apple CEO Tim Cook. However, before all this, she was bullied in school and she didn't think her life could get any better until she found an expressive outlet, which was coding. share a little bit about your background. How old are you? I am 16 years old. 16. And do you go to high school? Right now I'm homeschooled, so I do high schooling, but online. Got you. When did you start homeschooling? Back in January of 2017. So you've been homeschooled for about a year. Yeah. How else would you introduce yourself? Well, I am an iOS developer. I'm also a mental health and human rights advocate, and I have two apps, Anxiety Helper and Verena. 
Anxiety Helper is a mental health guidebook, so you can find information, resources, and tools all in one place for the most common mental illnesses. And then Verena is actually an app dedicated to helping the LGBTQ plus community. The reason behind Verena is that it's supposed to be a security system. So for example, if an LGBTQ plus kid was getting bullied or someone was having problems with their partner, they could use the app that's specified towards them and find resources, text contacts without leaving a trace on their phone, record incidents of abuse, and so forth. And how did you get involved in technology at such an early age? I was introduced to a robotics team when I was 10, I think. And from there, I kind of just, I fell in love with it. It really clicked. And other people have different kinds of platforms. Like some people use YouTube to talk about their problems. Some people use Instagram. Some people do art. But for me, my platform is development. So whenever I have an issue with something that I see, I make an app about it. So I guess that kind of just led to me just learning more and more about it and getting really more entrenched into what I want to do and having it become my platform. And I just watched your TEDx talk the other day, and you described high school as a negative experience. Can you talk a little bit about what elementary school, middle school, and high school was like for you? Yeah, definitely. So my parents got divorced when I was in fourth or fifth grade around that time. So my mother moved with me to a new city. I really didn't know anybody. So I was also kind of bullied. I was an outsider. It was a prep school. I didn't really understand the social etiquette because things were different. So as a result, I really got bullied and then things got bad at home and I developed really bad depression and anxiety and eating disorders and a bunch of other things. And this was happening while I was learning about technology. So middle school was hell for me. It was a bad time. So after that, I was pretty upset. I was pretty angry after I went through that time, around my freshman year of high school. And I kind of came to a consensus that I needed an outlet for what I was feeling. So that's where my first app came from. And then throughout high school, I worked more on that app, but I was still having problems at home with my mom. I still had my eating disorder. I was still depressed and anxious. So in January, I convinced my dad to let me leave public school for full-time online school. So from there, it's basically been pretty good. I do development full-time now, and I'm a student part-time. So ever since I left public high school, I've been able to dedicate more time to my projects, and I've just felt a lot better. Well, first, that's awesome. I'm glad you're feeling much better. And did it take a while for you to convince your parents, or was it just one conversation, one sitting down at the dining room table and saying, hey, this is how I feel? It was definitely more of an ongoing problem. I've wanted to do homeschooling since my freshman year of high school. Currently, I'm a junior. So I really, I had to have the conversation a lot with my dad because one of the reasons I wanted to get away from my public school is because I was living with an abusive parent and I really didn't feel like I could go back to school in a public high school in a new city after what happened and be okay and be mentally sound and structured. So there's always been that kind of conversation between me and my dad. It's always been like a possibility. It's never really been like a reality. But I guess a lot of time he really noticed how I was struggling and how the work I was doing was struggling. And so once the app got a little press coverage last December, he really realized how much it means to me and kind of what a big future I have in, within development. 
So he took me out of public schooling. He put me in homeschooling. And he said, if you succeed in this, this is your path and you can do what you want. But if you don't, then I have to, as a parent, I have to put you back in public school. So I took that and I worked with it and I succeeded. And during your TED talk, you spoke about some attempts for suicide. And that was very brave of you to speak up about that. For a struggling student right now listening, what would be your advice? Someone listening was kind of thinking about taking their own life. I actually just talked about this a couple days ago because I was at a summit and someone came up to me and they were like, listen, like, I I heard about your apps. I think what you're doing is amazing, but I really don't feel like I'm worth anything. And I've tried to commit suicide too. And what I really think you should do right now is if you're suicidal and if you're listening to this, stop and take a second and think about it. Like really, really think about it. I know I talked about it in my TED talk where I tried to commit suicide like an insane number of times. Like I can't, I can't even remember. It's less than, it's more than five, but less than 20. I really didn't think that I could be anything either. And I really felt like suicide was the only option. But so I would definitely say, take, think about it. It's not the best option for you right now. It really isn't because I thought the same thing. I thought that my life was never going to amount to anything. I thought that I was worthless. I thought that I was just going to go to a job, go to home to a husband that I didn't love, get up, work for other people and be manipulated my entire life. But the truth is, that's not how it plays out. The future and your opportunities that are coming up are so vast and expansive and you have no ways of guessing what they're going to be based on this little sliver of your life. So to any people that are suicidal out there, wait. Just what I did that really helped was whenever I was feeling suicidal, I would make myself wait for 24 hours just so that I could take a breath and get away from it. And then if those 24 hours were still up, were up, I told myself, okay, let's go for another 24 hours. And I did that until I felt better. So I just took life 24 hours at a time. And you can even do the same thing. You can do it with 30 seconds or five seconds or five minutes. Just take it slowly. You don't have to think about this right now. You can slow down and think it through. And were there things that you did in those, you know, 24 hour periods or 30 minute periods like that helped you get through those days? I definitely, a lot of things that helped me heal was number one for me, listening to music. That was so influential because it would, what I would do was whenever I was angry or sad, I didn't really have an outlet. Like I said, like I was very angsty, very upset. So I would listen to this music and I would just kind of let it feel my emotions for me. I wouldn't flash out. I wouldn't hit anything. I wouldn't cry. I would just sit there and let it feel me emotions for me and let it resonate within me. And I feel like that definitely helped. It's just instead of trying to push your emotions down, just feel them through and communicate them in a healthy way. So that's what I did within those 24 hours. And I know that other people have done meditations. Some people have read books. Some people have done art. Just anything that helps you get out your emotions in a healthy way that's not destructive to you. Well, Amanda, thank you for sharing that. It's very brave of you yeah. to speak out on that, and hopefully this you know, will help you know, the people listening. Have you seen any high school, either firsthand or secondhand, uh, do something great around anxiety and depression and helping solve that? 
I wish I could say yes, but the answer is no. I actually worked with a community or more like a nonprofit called Bring Change to Mind. And they flew me up to San Francisco and I was a panelist on one of their mental health summits at the Lift HQ. And they had all these students sit in this room one time and they were kind of going around and they were, they were like, what, what are you, what are you going through right now? What are you feeling? And I wasn't a student. So I just kind of sat there and listened on. And one of these girls was talking about how she went to her school counselor to talk about her abusive parents and her problems in how the school counselor called her abusive parents and that just hurt her even more. So that really stuck with me in the way that the administration that teenagers currently go through is kind of working for anxiety and working for depression. It's not a system built to help that for sure. Have you heard of Crisis Sex Line? I have, yes. What do you think of them? That's where you can just, the crisis text line, for those listening that mm-hmm. don't know what it is, it's a hotline that you can text uh, 741-741 and have a, a crisis counselor text you back within seconds or a minute. Have any of your friends used that? Have you used that? What do you think of them? I have used that. I know some of my friends have used that. That's actually one of the resources I have listed in my app. I think it's definitely a great alternative because a lot of these hotlines require calling and physically talking, and that can be really hard for people who have just been through a traumatic event or who are facing anxiety or who like just tried to attempt suicide. It's really hard sometimes for people to be open and talk about that, but it's easier for people to text about it. So I really do think it's doing a great service and it's solving a need that many people have that's not getting filled by the current resources. Well, Amanda, I, I know you also just made Team Vogue's 21 under 21 list, so congratulations on that. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you, Amanda, for taking the time, and I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Amanda's story. Such an inspiring role model, and love how she's using entrepreneurship and technology to try and solve the biggest issues facing teenagers today. Next, we have a different type of story. Ben Yu is the co-founder and CEO of Stream, a blockchain-powered economic infrastructure to enable a new generation of decentralized streaming applications that empower content creators and break the exploitative economic leverage of centralized platforms such as YouTube and Twitch. He is also the co-founder of Sprayable, an energy drink that works as a fragrance. He's also a Teal Fellow and a Harvard dropout. Before all of this, as a teenager and in college, Ben had trouble making friends and often felt suicidal. Let's listen to Ben's story. Let's just start out by just having you share a little bit more about your background. You know, where did you grow up? What were your teenage years like? Let's start there. Sure. Yeah, so pretty unlikely story to where I am today from where I was. So, you know, I came here born in New Jersey way back in the day, 1992, when my parents moved from China. And I was kind of an unexpected child because there's a one child policy in China. So you can't have too many children. And then they had my sister and then unexpectedly had me kind of the year after they moved here. And then spent most of my childhood growing up actually in the Midwest, so in suburbs of Chicago. And I was actually a very shy, awkward, nerdy kid who didn't have many friends and was perpetually kind of like very depressed and also very mediocre in pretty much most ways. And that I never kind of really tried for anything or stood out or particularly excelled at any one thing. And then, uh, yeah, that was my childhood in that show. And then you went to Harvard. How did you get into Harvard? Yeah, funny story. A uh, really unlikely path. It was because I was sure I'd be forever alone. And so I was never get academics or 
anything else, basically extracurriculars. Freshman year of high school, there's this girl I had this like massive crush on. And uh, <laughs> like for the first time, I had all these crushes way back in the day, but had been like so afraid to ever talk to any of them that, you know, those were just never anything that came close to reality. Well, this one, she was actually my friend. And I was like, wow, like this is my like one shot in life to not be forever alone. Let me just be as like obsessive and like creepy as possible. And then I'm sure she'll like dump her boyfriend for me and all that. Like that, like obviously didn't happen for some reason. And like that summer after freshman year, I was like, wow, this sucks. Like my life is definitely never going to get better. And this is it. So I might as well end it now, kill myself now. If like, I can't figure out a way to make things better. At the same time, there's this like pickup artist who was really good at basically internet marketing at the time called David D'Angelo. So he wrote this book called Double Your Dating. And I, you know, just stumbled across it. And I was like, all right, maybe this sounds like exactly what I need. So let me like take a look skim through it and it was like oh yeah like you know what you have to do is just go out there and like approach a lot of women and you know like just not be afraid of rejection and all these things i was like all right this seems one like a total scam and two like really hard and scary but three i have nothing to lose right because like if this doesn't go well i'll just go off and like kill myself like i was planning to do anyway before and so tried it and then like went from like zero to 0 0.01 and that like you know i'd very awkwardly try to like say hi to, like all these girls at school and like amazingly like it turns out people are pretty nice so they all said hi back and i was like holy shit this like actually works and went from like being literally zero percent able to speak to anyone to being able to very poorly speak to people which was like an infinite increase in skill. So sophomore year of high school was like the best year of my life. And then from there, I realized if I can change this one thing about myself, I had believed so strongly about my own identity for such a long time, then like everything else would be trivially possible to change too. So uh, I was like overweight and never like doing physical activity before that, joined like cross country, uh, had never like really uh, done anything academically, but started taking all the hardest classes that we offered and like did things beyond that. And then, like, started a couple clubs and things like that. So, really, that was the impetus that, like, changed me realizing that I could change almost anything else about myself if I really put my mind to it, I guess. And then uh, that led to kind of getting to Harvard and all that. And you dropped out of Harvard before getting the Teal Fellowship. Why did you drop out of Harvard, and at what point in your education was this? Yeah, this is a great question. Yeah, so funny enough, like, the Teal Fellowship was a complete fluke for me. I dropped out of Harvard within a single semester of starting, and that was actually completely different for no related reason, where I was actually just suicidally depressed at school. And so I knew for a fact that if I had stayed there any longer, I definitely would have killed myself. And so I wanted to figure out kind of like something else to do, right? And the thing that I actually latched onto first was not entrepreneurship or anything that. I had no exposure to that. It was actually just wanting to, I felt like I'd been in this insular bubble my entire life where I'd never really explored the world or experienced kind of worlds beyond the one that I was in right now. And so like college still felt like this, right? This very insular bubble just within you know, Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I was like, all right, like I would like to see more of the world and experience more kind of things. And so I read this book called Travels by Michael Crichton. He's one of my favorite authors, the guy who did Jurassic Park and ER and so forth. And it actually chronicled like a reasonably similar in some ways story where he also went to Harvard and had this like finding himself kind of thing where he traveled to all these places, did things like climb Kilimanjaro and so forth. I'm a very copycat kind of person. So I'm like, wow, that sounds awesome. I should also go climb Kilimanjaro. And so that kind of was impetus there. And then the Tail Fellowship just happened at the exact same time by Fluke. That was the first year they were running it. I read this article in Slate Magazine, which is like basically 
Peter Thiel is a devil. And like, this is the paradigmatic, like paragon of like why everything that's wrong about like the way that he views the world is like uh, so bad. And yeah, like read the whole article and it's like, it's destroying like middle class values and all these things and so forth. And he's paying like $100,000 to kids to like drop out college. And like, this is so bad. I was like, wow, this literally sounds amazing. And like, this is exactly what I want to do. So then applied to that, I got really lucky to kind of get thrown into that trajectory. And I want to talk a little bit about, you know, while you're at Harvard first semester, if you were suicidal, how did you get out of that? Like, what would be your advice to your younger self during that time to, you know, prevent that from happening? That's a really good question. Prevent? I'm not sure. There are a lot of thoughts on this. I'll, I'll try to tackle a couple of them. Let me know if you have any other things that you want to drill in on specifically. So the whole reason for it was a couple, a couple things, I think. And so there's always the retrospective. It's always hard to identify the exact thing, but there are like four-ish things that I think lead to it than the uh, the cause of the eventual like solution and so growing up i'd always been again super socially awkward shy had no friends and all that and there are two good articles that actually just recently came out there's one in the guardian that came out like a couple days ago about how it was like oh everything you know about depression may be wrong right and like the whole general gist of it is that today we have this kind of like very psychological view of depression that this is like some disorder that is just something intrinsically wrong with us, not necessarily in our circumstances or our environment or so forth, but just, you know, us as a problem. And therefore we must treat it with drugs and medicine, right? To just give you antidepressants and then you feel better and so forth. But then the whole, you know, assertion posit there is that it's actually not, right? It's actually a reasonable response. The symptoms of, say, depression and so forth a reasonable response to many people's life circumstances. And if you actually just change those life circumstances, then you, know, you can very well treat the root of the problem as opposed to taking drugs to basically be a band-aid to you know, treat the symptoms of the problem. And so the whole kind of context there is that this actually is something where they have to have a specific grief right or cause in the DSMV, DSMV-4, where basically they like specify, you know, these are the traits that qualify as having depression, but actually, if you experience these after a significant kind of a negative event, then it doesn't qualify as depression. It's a perfectly normal sign of grief. And so it turns out that like normal events in life can actually cause you to have exactly the same symptoms as someone who ostensibly would be depressed. And then so the, the question that draws from that is, you know, then is all forms of depression or most forms of depression actually just a reasonable response to significant life event or some life circumstance. And yeah, I, I think it is. There's another good article that came out in Psychology Today a while back, which talks about, you know, anxiety and depression are symptoms, not diseases, right? And so it's the idea that a huge part of it is actually interpersonal relationships. And so that was definitely true for me where, you know, the predominant feelings growing up that I had were loneliness and boredom. And it's kind of crazy to like see the 180 shift in time and that like that at the time was so pervasive and so ubiquitous in my life that I just thought that that was like core to who I was as a person as opposed to a part of my circumstance and so I just thought that you know I am just normally an unhappy person I am not just someone who is in unhappy circumstances and so then I actually you know because of the high school story I told you earlier started changing a lot of these things about myself like learned how to make friends learned how to be more successful in all these different facets of my life. And so I get to Harvard and not sensibly on every objective basis, right? It's like, oh, life is really good right now. I know how to be social. I'm not like that awkward anymore. I'm in a really good school, like have a lot of opportunity in the future of kind of like quote unquote in a lot of ways like made it, right? So like, why am I still 
feeling so suicidal and like depressed, right? That hadn't actually changed. And what was interesting was, so ultimately what happened was like, I think it's the best thing that ever happened to me because I think it really is the defining factor that has allowed me to make this push in my life where it is extremely difficult, I think, to change for a lot of people because change is deeply uncomfortable, deeply uncertain and scary because of that uncertainty. And a lot of people conflate uncertainty with risk. And that's not necessarily true. Like uh, today, I think living the kind of life that I live, it's extremely difficult for me to know exactly what my life will look like 10 years out, much less like five years or, you know, or two years and one year. Like I barely even know what one year out looks like, but that doesn't mean it's going to be bad, right? Just because I don't know exactly what it looks like doesn't mean that's going to most certainly end with me like homeless on the street, right? I know that like, regardless of whatever ultimate, kind of variation my life looks like, it's probably not going to be that bad, right? In fact, it'll probably be pretty good. And so that's what I think pains up a lot of people though, about just not knowing exactly what's going to happen. And so it's scary. And I think the worst thing that happens to a lot of people is that they get in a place where they're kind of unhappy with their lives, right? But not so unhappy that it really propels them to change. Whereas for me, it was like, I was so unhappy that it was very clear if I didn't actually do something about it, then I would not like be willing to go on living, right? And so it's like it made it easy to do things like drop out of Harvard, right? Where like, you know, coming from a traditional Asian family, it's like, oh, like, you know, Harvard is a really good school. You should stay in school and like be educated. Whereas for me, I just was able to be like, all right, well, like this is kind of scary to drop all this and like throw it away and like try something completely no unknown with no idea of how it's gonna end up. But actually, you know, it's super simple because it's either I stay here and I kill myself or I go off and do something else, right? And like maybe don't kill myself. And so that that was I think the good part of it. And so it's it's really hard for me to say like, you know, was this like a good or a bad thing? Because I think in most of my life the best things have come from like these growth experiences triggered by these like bad things. In terms of how to like prevent it or what solved it in the future. I think it was very much on the brink in college. It was the first time I actually admitted to anyone that I'd ever like felt this way or had any of these issues. Who did you admit it to? Two people, basically. My kind of best friend in my dorm room at the time. Basically, I think I admitted to him first and like we just had this like whole thing where I told him all the stuff and he was the first person I'd ever told. Like I've been distinctly suicidal since eighth grade. Like don't have a single happy memory of childhood that I remember right now. And so forth. So I've always felt this way, but I never told anyone. Told to him, and it really resonated with him because, like, he had a cousin who had like committed suicide earlier, and so forth. So, like, we basically had this huge like crying session together, and like he was, he was very cathartic. He like really, uh, really supported me at that time, and like that allowed me to kind of tell my mom for the first time. And so I feel really bad for my mom in retrospect because I kind of called her off and was like, "Hey, mom, like, so I'm either gonna." like kill myself in school or drop out and go travel. So, yep, that's, that's that. And so she was like, uh, okay, but, um, so drop that one on her. But like, it was so immensely relieving to do that because after that, it was like, this is the biggest thing. And after that, I just felt like I could like tell anyone anything, right. Or like tell my parents, especially, or my family, especially anything, which is so relieving, like allowed us to become a lot closer. And, How did your parents react? Yeah. So naturally they were super, super worried at first for sure. Right. Because, you know, it's like, all right, your son is, I guess, leaving Harvard and like all these, all these traditionally good things and literally having no idea what he's going to do with his life, but hopefully it works out. Right. And so, yeah, there's, there's definitely that, but I think my parents, I'm extraordinarily lucky to have like basically the most supportive and understanding and like just overall good mom in that, like she's very much not a tiger mom in any sense. Right. Where like, 
she has never imposed anything on me and uh, is always generally supportive even of like these crazy things where you know she'll be like yeah you know i i still think it's great if you get harvard education and so forth it's clear over time as the more they saw that like this actually was so much better for my life in all these ways they were very open to adopting that and also like uh, supporting that so they've been extremely supportive and you mentioned something earlier on about how you were lonely and bored. So what steps do you think someone should take, you know, how to make friends, how not to be bored? Really good question. Ultimately, I think all these things are skills. And it's really interesting because in school we teach all these things that, like, to be honest, right, haven't been that relevant in my life, right? Like, it's it's great and it's awesome on its own to learn about, like, you know, science and math and all these other things and humanities. But, like, they don't have direct, everyday, applicable relevance in my life, generally. The things that we don't teach, however, like have that I had to learn on my own are the most useful things I have on a day-to-day basis, basically every single day of my life, right? Like these skills are applicable. And I think what I'm talking about are like social skills, right? Like your personal skills and how to like interact with other people in the world where that is something that is just as much a skill as I think anything else, but just so much less taught in a correct fashion that allows people to really kind of embody this. And so it really comes down to, for most people, like luck of like, you know, being born into a world where you have good role models and examples and ways of learning this stuff. For me, I had to kind of, uh, I went through like basically a couple books that helped a ton, right? And so it was books and deliberate practice that really made the difference, having expert guidance and then, you know, actively working on that. And so, yeah, I mentioned earlier, right? Like the way that I first approached this was through like dating uh, advice and like pickup books and so those are specific right to one facet of impersonal like dynamics and communication but the general like principles there hold true to any kind of conversation right and so from there like branched out i did debate and speech in uh high school because of that and that helped a lot too and then how to win friends and influence people actually it was like a very very formative book that i credit to basically i think the crux of why I have friends today and uh, why I'm like very lucky I think have like really good friends is that the whole book is about like learning how to be extremely genuinely interested in other people and have more empathy and like connect with them I think a lot of ways and so like playing that into practice just completely 180 polarized like change the way that I interact with people. Just to go back, I remember you said earlier in high school, freshman year, it was, it was kind of a, a, you wanting to date this girl that triggered you know, bad things in mental health. What was it at college? What was it the first semester at Harvard? Was, was it loneliness and boredom? Or Yeah, it was actually, it was really conflicting for me. The first year at Harvard was because, again, like, ostensibly I'd solved all these problems, but I still felt this way, right? So that was actually the hardest thing because it was like this idea that, you know, now I have no more excuses for actually feeling this way, right? Because, like, before it was obvious, all right, you know, like, you don't like your life because your life is actually bad, right? Like you have no friends, you're not doing anything, you have no prospects in the future, so forth, right? That makes sense. Now it's like, all right, you have all these things, right? And like you have all these prospects and everything should be good, so you should be happy. And the fact that you're not happy must mean that you are just by nature a fundamentally depressed person and an unhappy person for the rest of your life. You will always be this way, right? So what's the point of living if no matter what amount of success I achieve, I will always feel this sad and like depressed, right? And so that was like kind of even paradoxically harder right the better that my life objectively became in all these superficial ways the fact that i still felt bad about it made it even worse to feel bad right and so 
yeah that was that was mostly it where it's like all right now there's like this futility like kind of like adopted this very nihilistic absurd this kind of philosophy on life um because of these past experiences so I was a reasonably cynical person, actually like a deeply cynical person and like deeply pessimistic person about the whole world and my like outlook. And it's interesting because now I can look back on all those like philosophies I had about life and acknowledge that like they're all factually true, but there are also things that you only like think of or fixate on so much when you are so depressed. And so at the time I'm like, this is just the fact of the world, right? The world is like this place where there's objectively no meaning. Everything we do is futile and like, you know, no matter how much we do, like it's not gonna mean anything, right? We're just a speck of dust in the mode of time and like they will just turn into ashes again in the future. Doesn't matter at all, right? And all this stuff. And so like like that is technically true, but also you only think so depressingly when you are depressed. And like now it's just like life is amazing. But um yeah, so that's what really caused it then was this thought I would never get better from like uh the stuff, no matter how successful life became. Thank you so much for listening to Ben's story. Such an interesting story of someone who was depressed and riddled with anxiety to attending to Harvard only to drop out and then making it big in Silicon Valley. Thank you once again to Zach, Amanda, and Ben for sharing their personal life to possibly help out the people listening to this podcast. Again, if you're feeling suicidal, there's always someone out there to help you. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. And if you're someone that you know someone else is going through something like this, try and approach them and try to help them. It's not too much effort. We'll be back next week on Off Record. Thank you again for listening.